Miraculous Intercessions of Hieromonk Seraphim of Platina The following are accounts of select miracles from Hieromonk Seraphim of Platina, as recorded in Father Seraphim Rose, His Life and Works, by Hieromonk Damascene. In January of 1983, four months after Father Seraphim's repose and only three weeks before his own repose, Bishop Nectari sent Father Herman an encouraging letter in which he told him to trust in the prayers of your heavenly patron, our Holy Father Herman of Alaska, and of course in the prayers of your Sotainik, the late Hieromonk Seraphim. And Archbishop John, the bishop continued, does he not raise his holy prayers to the throne of God, begging help for you to strengthen your will and to give powers for further building up and making firm your holy monastery? After all, it is a child of Archbishop John. God is the God of the living, and not a God of the dead. Both Archbishop John and Father Seraphim are alive with the Lord, and doubtlessly have boldness before the throne of God. Address yourself to them. Feel and believe in their prayerful protection and help. Be valiant, be manly, and may your heart be firm. In the years following Father Seraphim's repose, the St. Herman Brotherhood received many confirmations that Father Seraphim had indeed become, together with St. Herman and St. John Maximovich, a heavenly intercessor. Thus, just as the Brotherhood had once begun to compile a record book of the intercessions of its founding hierarch, St. John, so now it began to compile such a book about its founding member, Father Seraphim. Here we present, in chronological order, a sampling of the accounts from this record book of Father Seraphim's intercessions. Note, what follows are a few accounts of what is contained in the book. In late September 1982, just weeks after Father Seraphim's repose, Father Alexei Young's Matushka, Susan, was diagnosed with melanoma. The insidious cancer had already metastasized leaving Matushka Susan, according to the doctors, a 20% chance of living another five years. Her youngest daughter, Faith, was only five months old then, and for her sake, Matushka Susan begged God to grant her this reprieve. Meanwhile, every night, Father Alexei anointed the spot on her neck, from which the primary tumor had been removed, with oil from a lamp over Father Seraphim's grave. On December 6, 1982, one of Father Alexei's parishioners, Martha Nichols, wrote to the monastery. I don't feel that Father Seraphim is very far away. I recently dreamt that I walked into a crowd of people, and there was Father Seraphim, dressed in his monastic garments with a black cap, scufia, on his head. He blessed me and said, Peace be with you. And I said, And with thy spirit, like in the liturgy. He turned to a woman and put his forehead on her neck and shoulder. When he raised his head, blood was streaming on the woman's neck and shoulder, but there was no blood on Father Seraphim. Father Deacon Lawrence Williams, vested in white and gold, went over and with a communion cloth, wiped the blood off very calmly. I remember thinking, it is really the blood of Christ. Then Father Seraphim walked away with his arms around someone, as if to console that person. I didn't recognize who it was. When I woke up, I realized that the woman in the dream looked, from the back, just like Matushka Susan. Some time after this dream occurred, 
Matushka Susan went to the doctor for medical tests. All the tests showed that the cancer had disappeared. Her neck was perfectly healthy. The doctors at the clinic specializing in melanoma acknowledged it to be a miracle. Matushka Susan lived for another 14 years and reposed on November 29, 1996. In 1979, Pastor Marian Cardoza, who was connected with the Evangelical Orthodox Movement, began to write Father Seraphim heartfelt letters expressing his desire to enter more deeply into Orthodoxy. At that time, his church near Santa Cruz, California, called the Hippie Church because it brought in young seekers from the counterculture, had not been received into the canonical Orthodox Church, and in fact it had practically no contact with traditional Orthodoxy and its monasticism. In August of 1980, Father Seraphim wrote to Pastor Cardoza in order to arrange a meeting. I have received your second letter and am very touched by the urgency of your appeal to find the true roots of Christianity. May God reward your search for true orthodoxy. I myself found it twenty years ago after a fruitless wandering in Oriental religions, and I have never doubted that this is the true church established by our Lord Jesus Christ. The pitfalls in the way of finding and becoming one with Christ's church are many, as you yourself have already realized. I myself believe that if one is absolutely sincere and truthful, and will beware of trusting his own opinions and feelings, God will grant him to find his church. I will be in Santa Cruz over the Labor Day weekend to give a talk at a Russian language religious conference there, and I would be very happy to meet with you then, and with members of your community if you wish. We are sending you separately a few more Orthodox publications. Please pray to God that he might make our meeting fruitful. When Father Seraphim came to visit the church on September 5th, a parishioner who saw him outside told Pastor Cardoza, There's a heavy dude out there. The pastor, afraid it might be a member of the motorcycle gang, opened the door and saw for the first time in his life an Orthodox monk. Father Seraphim talked with him for two or three hours, and as he arose at the end of their talk, he reached out and hugged the pastor. God is in this place, he said emphatically. Stay on the path. Later, Father Seraphim wrote in his chronicle, A good meeting. He has read much on orthodoxy and seems to accept it in his heart. Father Seraphim saw that the church, having come from a Protestant background, still had much to learn but he believed that if the people continued to seek the kingdom of God, all things would be added unto them. He especially valued their attempt to save the victims of today's counterculture, having once been one himself. After Father Seraphim's repose, Pastor Cardoza needed a larger church for his growing community. An ideal church was available in the town of Ben Lomond for $250,000, but his community had no money at the time. Taking some earth that had come from Father Seraphim's grave in Platina, he sprinkled it over the church's grounds and asked Father Seraphim for his heavenly intercession. The next day, the lady who was selling the church told the pastor that he could move in right away and not worry about immediate payment. The community was subsequently received into the Orthodox Church, grew to include over 300 families, and became widely known as one of the most fervent convert parishes in America. 
Its original pastor attributes the miracle of the acquisition of the Ben Lomond Church to Father Seraphim's prayers in heaven. Having taken the name Seraphim out of gratitude to Father Seraphim, he now serves as the priest of St. Innocent's Orthodox Church in Rogue River, Oregon. In 1985, the Brotherhood received the following letter from a frequent pilgrim to the monastery, a 25-year-old Greek-Arabic man named Paul Baba. Father Seraphim has answered my prayer. Yesterday was probably one of the worst days of my life. I was just about to fall apart. The problem I was having was all about how I didn't want to spend most of my time serving and pleasing man in this world, with the musical talent that God gave me. What I mean by pleasing man is when I write dancing tunes that are so useless to man's salvation songs that do not take any talent whatsoever. The only reason I would write them is so I could get paid a lot of money. As you know, I've been writing Byzantine chants. In my heart, I feel so at ease serving God, serving the church, and doing something useful for the salvation of man. But even though I've been writing chants, my life still feels very empty. I've been told I need a degree if I'm going to continue to write chants. If I don't have a degree, no one will recognize me as a writer. Well, G.B. invited me over to his house yesterday and gave me the new Orthodox word on the obstinate elders to read. As I was leaving for home, which was at midnight, I fell into despondency. I was so hurt because I felt as though the church wanted neither me nor my talents. Then I remembered Father Seraphim lying dead in his coffin. I remembered watching people touching him and praying to him to intercede for them. These people would cry their hearts out as though they needed help in their spiritual life. I was so tired of being sick at heart that I went to bed and, right before I slept, I asked Father Seraphim to help me. A tear came rolling down from my eye. I guess I was just so hurt and alone. In my dream last night, I was in the old church at Platina looking at Father Seraphim lying dead in his coffin. He looked so humble and innocent that I felt compelled to give him a layman's blessing with a sign of the cross. As I thought of my problems, I started to cry heavily right over his coffin. I felt so alone and in need of comfort that I got on my knees and lay my head on his shoulder. I kept crying and crying. I started pouring out my troubles about how no one accepts my talents because I don't have a degree and how I feel so alone in the world. I went on and on and cried and cried. After I was done letting all my problems out, I felt so warm and comforted that I wanted never to leave. I had to leave, though, and as I looked at his face, he had tears rolling down from his eyes. It was so beautiful to see that he entered himself into my sorrow. And as I hugged him in parting, I heard his voice say, you will get your answer. Then I woke up, and it was morning. For some reason, the first thing that I did was to read the whole Orthodox word on the obstinate elders. When Father Seraphim was alive, he used to say to me, You think you've got problems? Read the lives of the saints. So with that always in mind, I read the obstinate elders article. They were so beautiful, but still no answer to my problem. But there I saw on the next page, written by Eugene Rose, The Love of Truth. 
There was my answer. It was so true and encouraging for me to do what is right, especially when I read, for the rest, it's a matter of making money, getting a secure place in life, and using the mind as a kind of toy, doing clever tricks with it and getting paid for it, like circus clowns. You see, I wouldn't last here in the world by rearranging the talent God gave me to satisfy my stomach. God is glorified through his saints. Father Seraphim gave Paul his answer in more ways than one. Since writing this letter, Paul was given unforeseen opportunities to serve Christ and his church, in much the same way that Father Seraphim did. For several years, he ran a popular Orthodox book and icon store in San Francisco, in a storefront right next to the one where Father Seraphim and Herman had theirs. Through him and his store, hundreds of people were converted to Orthodoxy. Today, Paul is married, has three children, and serves as the priest of the Virgin Mary Orthodox Church in Sacramento, California. In 1995, a Roman Catholic priest in Italy, Father Andrea Casinasco, was so moved by reading Father Seraphim's biography and works that he made the decision to convert to the Orthodox faith. Later, he became an Orthodox monk and priest, taking the name Father Ambrose. In gratitude to Father Seraphim for changing his life and leading him to the true church, Father Ambrose commissioned an iconographic painting to be made of Father Seraphim by a Romanian iconographer, Father Irenaeu. A fine piece of work bearing a close resemblance to Father Seraphim, the painting is a pre-canonization icon lacking a halo and the word saint. Clearly, it was made with the hope that these elements would be filled in when, God willing, Father Seraphim would be formally canonized. The painting shows Father Seraphim holding a book on which are written his now famous words translated into Italian. It's later than you think. Hasten, therefore, to do the work of God. As has been seen, local grassroots veneration of Father Seraphim, the first prerequisite for canonization, has occurred since the time of his death. Today, probably the most widespread veneration of him has been occurring in Russia, where the above-mentioned pre-canonization icon of him is now being sold in church bookstores of the Moscow Patriarchate. On February 19, 2001, the St. Herman Brotherhood received the following letter from an American Orthodox missionary living in Moscow, Richard Betts, and a miracle connected with this. I was just contacted by Slava Vyacheslav Marchenko with some incredible news. As you might remember, he and Dima, Dmitry Rodionov, and I had visited a professor in Moscow, at whose home drops of myrrh began appearing on a large copy of the Italian-made Father Seraphim icon. At the same time, we left another copy of the icon there and myrrh started appearing on it too. The professor gave that one to Slava, who now has it in his home. Here is what Slava just wrote. I have had the icon in my home for the past three days. It is in a frame, but without any glass over it. When I first received the icon, there were two drops of myrrh on Father Seraphim's face. But today, there are over 50 drops of myrrh. The largest drops are approximately two centimeters in diameter. The others are smaller. Incredible. 
the number increases, and even without glass they remain, and do not dry out. On September 4th, 2004, the following letter was sent to the St. Herman Monastery by Celia Yetzin, an American Orthodox convert who had been introduced to Orthodoxy through her husband David, also a convert. This letter is to testify to a miraculous healing that I received while visiting the St. Herman of Alaska Monastery in July 2004. During the summer of 1996, when I was just 24 years old, I suffered a cumulative trauma back injury from sports, from which I never fully recovered. I was never able to run again and had pain and stiffness when either walking or sitting for more than 20 to 30 minutes. Later that year, x-rays confirmed some mild degenerative changes that were beginning to occur in my lower spine, despite how young I was. My father has degenerative disc disease, DDD, of the lower spine. After many years without relief from my pain, DDD was my presumed fate as well, although at such an early stage there was no real way to confirm a diagnosis. In the past eight years, I have tried many types of treatments, from TENS electric stimulation treatments to physical therapy, prescription medications, ointments, and various exercise programs. None of these attempts worked for me. I went to sleep each night in pain. For eight years, my pain had never relented. I had grown accustomed to living with it daily. I had to give up the running that I loved so much, but I've always been grateful to be otherwise healthy and able to walk without too much hindrance despite the presence of pain. In July 2004, my husband David and I made a pilgrimage to the St. Herman of Alaska Monastery. While there, we went to Father Seraphim Rose's gravesite to pray. At one point during our silent prayers, David put his hands on my back and continued to pray. I did not know what he was praying for, but knowing David, I guessed that he might be praying for my back. I have always been embarrassed at how much I allowed back pain to interfere in David's and my life, and had always hoped that I would be better at daily tasks without him knowing that I was in pain. Upon thinking that David might be praying for relief of my pain, I said a very small prayer. Father Seraphim, I know my husband loves me very much to pray for my relief, but truly, I do not deserve to have such a lofty request answered. I'm far, far too selfish. David later told me, What I asked Father Seraphim for was his intercessions, not necessarily for a total cure, but that you might have at least a reduction of your chronic pain so that you could better manage daily life. The next morning, July 21st, as we were preparing to leave the monastery, I noticed that I had an unusually easy time carrying my bag uphill from the guest house. In the days that followed, I began to notice that I was consistently waking up each morning with no trace of pain, and that pain would not develop during the day, no matter how strenuous the day's tasks were. Since becoming Orthodox, I had never consistently been able to do a full bow, matanya, without bending my knees and bracing my back by pushing my hand against my leg. A few days after we left the monastery, while saying our morning prayers, when going to do a series of matanyas, I touched the ground with my knees straight, 
with complete ease and no pain for the first time. In shock, at realizing what I had just done, I immediately looked at my husband with complete surprise. David was overjoyed. We knew then that David's prayers had indeed been answered. We sang prayers of thanksgiving to Father Seraphim for his intercessions, and sang an acothist of thanksgiving to God. One day, a couple of weeks later, in response to the joy I was beginning to feel at this new life, I decided to go running, as I had so loved to do before I was hurt. I walked three miles and sprinted for half a mile. I felt no pain and awoke the next day with no pain. I haven't experienced such freedom of movement in so many years. Even as I write this, I am still with no pain. I ran a mile a few days ago. In the six weeks since I left the monastery, I have been pain-free, except for only a brief moment of a consequence of carrying a nearly 30-pound backpack of groceries for a mile. But as David reminded me, he didn't ask for a total cure, only that I would receive relief so that I could live normal daily life without hindrance. And that is exactly what I have received. Glory to God for all things, and endless thanks to Blessed Father Seraphim for his miraculous intercessions. On September 13, 2006, Athanasius Arum Kohn, having been received into the Orthodox Church just three months previously, sent the following account to the St. Herman Monastery. In 2003, I lived in Kodiak, Alaska, with my wife and two-year-old daughter. I was then very involved in a Protestant church, having spent time studying for the ministry as a youth pastor and pastoral intern. I worked with the Alaskan natives in the villages, where everyone is Orthodox, but as a Protestant, I thought Orthodoxy was a broken and irrelevant religion in love with the past. During the summer of 2003, I was the director of the spirit camp for the Kodiak Area Native Association, Kena. Spirit camp was a camp for native youth, which surrounded them with a wholesome environment and which brought three generations of natives together to teach and learn. It was a very popular and successful program. The camp took place near Pestrakoff Beach on Spruce Island. During the camp session, we took one day to walk over to Monk's Lagoon, where St. Herman of Alaska had lived. On that day, we had a boat from Kodiak come and bring visitors, including my wife and daughter. My wife had grown up in Kodiak, but had never been to Monk's Lagoon before. At Monk's Lagoon, my wife, my daughter, and I were walking up the path from the graveyard to see the church, where all of a sudden we smelled a very beautiful fragrance. It smelled like roses or incense, but not exactly like either one. My wife said, I smell incense burning. I thought the monks lived on the other side of the island. I told her, they do. No one is here. We realized that something extraordinary was occurring. The smell would come and go in its intensity. After a couple of minutes, about 50 people came walking up the path from the camp. As they walked by, one of the native elders asked us what was going on, and we told him and those around him. They could not smell anything, nor could anyone else who walked up the path. A little while later, as we were walking around, 
a native lady, Judy Simeonov from Akiok, asked my daughter if she would like to taste the water from St. Herman's Spring. Of course, my daughter went running off to taste the water. I had had no intention of drinking the water, since the thought that water could have special powers was too much for my Protestant mind. But since my daughter was doing it, I did it also. My wife drank the water as well. At the time, she had a very bad headache, and she said that when she drank the water, she felt something in her head just pop, and her headache immediately went away. After all this happened on Spruce Island, I did not know what to do with it. My wife and I both interpreted things in the only way we knew, which was as Protestants. At the time, we felt that it was the Holy Spirit and that St. Herman had been a man of prayer. Nothing about our experience made us consider becoming Orthodox. It was easy to rationalize away. Shortly after our encounter on Spruce Island, however, I had a dream. In the dream, I was being prayed for by several people from St. Innocent's Academy. This is an Orthodox school in Kodiak, and I had met some people from there prior to the dream. As the people from the Academy prayed for me, I started to weep very deeply, with lots of tears for a long time. When I went to grab something to wipe my tears away, there was a shelf with some folded fabric on it. I grabbed a piece of this fabric, and it looked to me at the time like a Hebrew prayer shawl. As I used it, I realized it belonged to someone who had prayed a lot and was deeply spiritual. Then this priest appeared to me. He was dressed in black, he had a long matted beard, and his face was glowing very much. I somehow felt that the cloth I had just used to wipe my tears belonged to him. He told me his name was Seraphim Rose. He then told me many things about my life. He told me that I had a calling on my life, that I was to become Orthodox and a priest. I started to argue with him, telling him that I did not want to become Orthodox and wear a stupid black hat. Then he told me many other things, but I do not remember them now. I do not know why I cannot remember them. I awoke from this dream and realized something deeply spiritual had occurred. I wish to make it clear that, before that dream, I had never heard of anyone named Seraphim Rose. Being a Protestant, I was not comfortable with a priest visiting me in my dreams, especially one who was dead, as I somehow assume the priest in my dream to be. Regular dreams I can shake off, but what I had experienced was different from a regular dream. It had an intensity that made it impossible to forget or ignore. It kept coming back to me. The day after I had the dream, I went to find an Orthodox priest. I knew Father Paisius, the dean of St. Innocent's Academy, so I went to talk with him. I sat down in his office and told him I might be going crazy. I asked him if he had ever heard of a priest named Seraphim Rose. He, of course, got excited and said yes, and handed me a very large book about Father Seraphim and his life. Then I told him the story of my dream. I took home the book about Father Seraphim and began to read it over the weekend. I was amazed at the life of Father Seraphim. This was an orthodoxy I knew nothing about. 
The main thing that amazed me was how deeply Father Seraphim allowed the early church fathers to imprint on him their thought and their way of life. After the dream of Father Seraphim, I just could not shake it. I could not rationalize this away. This dream had deeply affected my soul. I began to ask questions of anyone and everyone I could find and to read books. I even went to St. Michael's Skeet on Spruce Island for a weekend. I was deeply impressed with the spiritual atmosphere there. When I walked on the grounds of the monastery, I felt like I had walked onto a peace envelope. It deeply impressed my mind. After the dream happened, I began to look at orthodoxy very closely. My wife began to joke that I was having an affair with orthodoxy, since we were both deeply committed to our local Protestant church. Certainly the new direction that had opened up for us was not one that we had been looking for. We had thought that we had our lives figured out, but now we were taken out of our lives. It was very disruptive. I began to do the Orthodox Compline Prayer, since a good friend told me, you cannot understand orthodoxy outside of prayer. About three months later, I was reading a prayer by St. Basil, when I realized that this man in 25 lines had completely described the necessary elements of approaching God. I remember thinking, for the first time, that this man really had seen God, and perhaps I have not. On Pentecost of 2006, after having undergone many trials in our preparation to becoming Orthodox, my wife, my daughter, and I were baptized and chrismated at the St. Silouan Orthodox Church in Walla Walla, Washington. In recounting the visitations that started us on the path to the church, I would like to say that I do not think these things happened to us because we are special in any way. It was simply God's mercy. I believe he knew that we were going to have a long and painful road to orthodoxy, and he wanted to give us something that could anchor us during the coming tribulations and keep us trusting that the Orthodox Church was real and his church. In coming to orthodoxy, we are now surrounded by a depth of spirituality that is completely amazing. The spiritual inheritance of the saints, the wealth of their teachings, the wisdom of the church, the feasts, the Orthodox prayer, as we learn to live a life of humility within the church. Orthodoxy is far more complete than I had ever imagined. I will add that I regularly ask for both St. Herman's and Father Seraphim's prayers now, how far I have come from being a Protestant. I ask for St. Herman's prayers especially for the people of Alaska, and Father Seraphim's prayers to keep us on the royal path. The author of the above account, Athanasius Cohn, was ordained to the Holy Priesthood on December 19, 2012, by Metropolitan Hilarion, Chief Hierarch of the Russian Orthodox Church Abroad. He is now a priest of the St. Silouan Orthodox Church in Walla Walla, Washington. While Father Seraphim's legacy indeed belongs to the Church throughout the world, both to cradle Orthodox and to converts, it may be said to belong first of all to his fellow American-born converts to Orthodoxy. Father Seraphim is America's own righteous one, someone whom American converts can look up to. By the grace of God, 
He was raised up in a particular place at a particular time in order to be a pathfinder for the rising generations of American Orthodox converts who are ever increasing in number. It is through more than his literary inheritance that Father Seraphim is leading these converts. As the accounts related in this chapter indicate, Father Seraphim, being still alive in Christ, is even now personally drawing people into the fullness of the ancient Christian faith. Twenty years after Father Seraphim's repose, Hieromonk Ambrose, formerly Father Alexei Young, affirmed his belief that Father Seraphim continues to build bridges between American spiritual seekers and the heart of ancient Christianity. He writes, Shortly after his repose, I began to pray to Father Seraphim daily, asking him to continue being a bridge builder, both for me and for other converts. And I absolutely believe that he has been and still is fulfilling this great need. Now, however, two decades after his death, I hope he is also building a bridge for me from this world to the kingdom of heaven, where he intercedes for us all. For truly we can say, Holy Father Seraphim, pray to God for us.